Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, hey, hey! Canada, this is our team, united, believe that, from Halifax, Van City, through to the T-Dot, Raptors are notorious, ain't no team can't bang with us, the Rose and Lowry, Violet, you know, whole squad representing with the Northern Touch, yo! Damon Stoudemire is a basketball coach at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California, and in 1995, he became the first ever draft pick in the history of the Toronto Raptors. Ryan Sidhu is a filmmaker who originally hails from Vancouver, but has been living in Toronto over the past two years. Damon appears in Ryan's poignantly beautiful and deeply fascinating new documentary series, True North, which chronicles the rise of Toronto, Ontario as a world basketball mecca. A star-studded project featuring appearances by DeMar DeRozan, Steve Nash, Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray, and Jamal McGlure, among others, True North's real focus is on young players, the communities, coaches, mentors, and families that support them, and how journeys from Metro Toronto to the NBA might actually be possible. True North launches on YouTube and Red Bull TV on May 9th, and I first spoke to Ryan, and then a few days later I spoke to Damon about this series, just as the Toronto Raptors began their 2018 playoff series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound locations in Ottawa and Toronto, and, of course, flexible monthly pledges by listeners like you at patreon.com slash Control. This is the 394th episode of Creative Control featuring Ryan Sidhu and Damon Stoudemire with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Contenders and championship defenders, the path to the finals comes through us. And, uh, we notorious. Raptors are notorious. Ain't no team can't bang with us. The Rose and Lowry, Valentino, whole squad representing with the Northern Tuck. Hi, Ryan. How's it going? Good. Good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. No, it's it's uh, awesome. It's awesome to have you on. I, I wasn't uh, super familiar with you before uh, this series, True North, and uh, I have to say I'm very captivated by. It. Congratulations on this. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. It was uh, what you call a labor a labor of love. You know, but basketball 
basketball and, and filmmaking kind of, of the two two passions and, and love of my life. So being able to fuse it together, you know, it's been pretty special and just fun. And now that it's getting ready to, to kind of go out into the world, um, it's interesting, I guess, to, to talk about with other people and, and audiences. So that's kind of cool. Now, in terms of basketball and filmmaking, are you a fan of uh, White Man Can't Jump, Hoosiers, Space Jam? What what is your uh, what is your basketball film of choice? Well, my dad. The way we were raised, we we're kind of introduced to a lot of different films and in you know kind of off offbeat films. But came up on a lot of Spike Lee films. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, of course, he got games. So, so, yeah, he got games. One of my favorite, and the soundtrack by Aaron Copeland, and the score by Aaron Copeland, the soundtrack by Public Enemy. I think I had both of those on CD when I was a kid. Nice. Um, so that film, you know, I just loved the way, you know, kind of Spike did that and, and you know, then reading books like that, that film is loosely inspired by The Last Shot, which is about Stefan Marbury's high school team, yeah. right? So I was just kind of always, as a kid, through my dad who loved basketball, just consuming, you know, consuming a lot of different basketball content, whether it be books or different docs or even just that scene in in do the right thing where you know the guy wearing the celtic shirt steps on one of the guys jordans right yeah yeah yeah, totally yeah one of the best scenes right and and then also just playing a lot of pickup basketball uh as a kid um you know with my dad and meeting people you know just meeting people through basketball like you're playing but then you're also getting their story or where are you from how long have you lived here you know so it's all i've just kind of been around this 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 culture of basketball and in basketball community for a while so it's kind of a natural segue to want to do something that fuses basketball with film yeah no that makes sense so where, where are you as we're speaking right now where am i calling or where are we where are we talking where are you where are you speaking to me from is what i meant to uh, say. i'm currently i'm currently in toronto so i've been here the last two and a half years you know working on this project on and off really intensively for probably the past 15 months but two and a half years i've been been here in toronto and where are you from Originally, I was born in Vancouver. That's where my parents met and, and where I was born. And, and then I left, I left there when I was about 17, 18 and kind of bounced around a little bit between California and New York and, and been in Toronto, yeah, for, for two and a half years. Okay, so when was the last time you spent a considerable amount of time in Vancouver? Three years ago, maybe. Um, like I were, wouldn't say, were you living I there? Uh, I was just back for a little bit when I was kind of in between projects, but... You know, I, I appreciate I appreciate growing up there, but not really not really a city city for me. Sure, sure, I, I can appreciate that. I have the same feeling about it too, on some level. I like visiting Vancouver. I don't think I could live there. There's something about it. I, I don't mean to disparage it, but it's just it's not. I'm an east east coast or east eastern person. I'm an eastern person, not Maritimes, not necessarily Newfoundland, but I'm east. I, I think there's just. A, do you know what I mean? Are you a little east? Yeah, I mean, I just never felt at home in Vancouver outside of the, you know, confines of my family house and yeah, yeah. and and kind of the people I grew up with, but Vancouver is a very I don't know if it's the weather or or, or maybe because it was, you know, the last province, you know, formed, uh, you mm-hmm. know, generally speaking in Canadian history other than there's some territories and things that have come along, but I don't know what it is, but it's a very uh it's sadly segregated by, I think, socioeconomic boundaries, racial boundaries, whereas I see a city like Toronto is just a lot more mixed. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I didn't necessarily really feel at home in Canada until I came to Toronto and, and kind of, 
you know, maybe because my parents, you know, come from, you know, their roots come from, you know, outside of Canada and I'm second generation, but I didn't really feel at home in Canada until I came to Toronto and just kind of saw how, how blended it was and, and just how people treated each other and, and how open people yeah, um, yeah. in Toronto are as opposed to Vancouver, I find a little, a little cut off. And, and I think growing up, the basketball community in Vancouver, you know, wasn't the most popular sport, right? So I think that that attracted um, more of a immigrant community and, and it, was, it was more tight knit, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I was playing before the Grizzlies and before Steve Nash won two MVPs, which did a lot for the game there. But, you know, basketball was kind of kind of a refuge and, and, and fun place to to immerse myself in, in terms of community in Vancouver. And, and it was incredibly diverse. One of the very few diverse pockets of Vancouver that brought all walks of life together with, and it wasn't forced, right? You just played ball and, and everyone loved it, especially at that time yeah. where getting gym time and finding people to play and having organized leagues, it was a lot more difficult back then than it is now. Well, one of the reasons I was asking about the last time you'd spent considerable amount of time in Vancouver is just precisely what it sort of speaks to what you were just saying. I, I kind of wanted you to compare the basketball vibe in Vancouver and Toronto because Toronto right now is just basketball crazy. I think like just bas- there's just a real investment in the sport and playing the sport and and being a part of the sport in whatever way you can. And I wondered since the Grizzlies departed Vancouver, if it if it was kind of on the uh, you know, ticking downwards, so to speak, trending downwards, so to speak. Uh, uh, I, I think I think basketball in Vancouver is. I mean, it is. It's thr- I mean, I just think the game in general across all of Canada is trending upwards, right? And I think, yeah, yeah. I think it's because you have guys from the '90s and early 2000s, and, and even before that. But you have a lot of guys who played ball, went to university in the states, played Division One basketball there kind of saw what was going on there, learned from their experiences, and then have come back to Canada and started programs with that with that knowledge about, okay, this is how you get to a Division One school. This is what it takes, um, you know, playing against the best competition. And I think, you know, now that that wave of guys have, have come back, I think that's done a lot for the game across, across the country. However, of course, Toronto, you have you know, it's more of a diverse city. There's a bigger population. You know, there's a, there's more of a history of immigration here, which I think, you know, hockey and some other sports are very expensive. So yeah. I just think that naturally this would be the epicenter of it based on different social patterns, I guess, that that have impacted the country. Yeah, I think Steve Nash puts it well in the first episode of True North where he talks about Toronto having this very vibrant private sector and, and the, the population demographics that you describe it's really ripe for basketball uh and and that comes through in your in the series which we should really start talking about because like i i I hope i've conveyed to you a little bit earlier this thing's remarkable i really have enjoyed this series it's poignant it's compelling i like the stories uh it's star-studded and i was just really blown away by it and I, I want to begin by just asking you what inspired – I mean, you've talked about this. It seems to be in your makeup. If anyone was going to make a documentary series like this one based on your love of film, based on your love of the sport, it was going to be you. But let's step back a little bit and then how did you go from like this is part of me to I got to start – I'm going to make this thing. Where did where did this project really start? Yeah, it's, it's it actually is kind of hard to separate it because it is basketball's – 
is is just so much a part of, of who I am and something that I identify with. But I think, you know, it kind of comes down to being not wanting to work a traditional nine to five. So you're like, okay, um, uh, let's let's not do that. And 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 sure, filmmaking and and working in film and, and television and documentaries. This seems like a this seems like a feasible idea, right? So. Um, you know, once you kind of make that decision to, to move forth with immersing yourself, I think in, in film, I was, I was in New York and, and I was studying, I was studying film there, just, just being a, being a basketball head, I wanted to do some student project on this streetball legend named Fly Williams mm-hmm. that I, that I read about in a book my dad gave me when I was a kid. Um, so he was a street legend and I was trying to track him down in New York and I ended up at a few youth basketball camps in New York, right? It was kind of the mecca of basketball. And I got there and, you know, I'm studying film and, and you know, I, you know, so I, I know my way around cameras a little bit and, and you know, so I'm just shooting stuff and, and, I, and I'm starting to understand what makes a compelling story and how to tell that story. So I'm at these camps and I was just blown away by um, the amount of parents with cameras in in making mixtapes and talent evaluators there for kids in you know the fifth and sixth grade and and I was like whoa this is this is really interesting because you know so much has changed since the hoop dreams era yeah. right yeah I, I think that's also because you know YouTube was peaking at this time and things started were going viral so I think a lot of people were we're hyping this youth basketball machine was 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 growing and growing and growing and and that's when the seeds were kind of planted and you know I originally started developing it when I was down in the states but eventually you know keeping an eye on Canadian basketball and, and always having the sense of pride when you would see Canadians doing well in basketball because I never I never was down with hockey in, in that culture right so mm-hmm. as a Canadian like, yeah, like, you know, we're, we're, we're sending more kids D1 where, you know, guys are getting drafted, you know, that was exciting. And, and then just kind of having that knowledge of this youth basketball machine and then seeing all these guys come out of Toronto, um, you, you know, I started to get real curious, like, okay, well, why is this happening? How is this happening? You know, what's the story here? And, and that's when I brought it to the National Film Board um, around 2015 and then, you know, that's when the, the wheels really started turning and, and we started developing it from that Canadian angle and, and then kind of had to, you know, immerse myself in the, in the basketball community in Toronto and, and, you know, just go hang out in gyms and talk to people and, and start to kind of piece together the story that, that we see on screen. Yeah, well, it, can you characterize the arc a little bit of the of the series? You mentioned some of the you mentioned a basketball machine in Toronto. You're referring to some of the camps, the leagues, the associations that are uh, were, were sort of sprung up to cultivate these young players, and then you follow the journey of some of these players as they they try to make their dreams come true and and play ball and and yeah. and try to get into the NBA like some of their heroes before them. Um, I guess I kind of characterized the arc a little bit there, but can you can you elaborate a little yeah. bit on on these yeah. stories? Well, it's actually I'm, I'm probably doing a bit of a disservice when I refer to it as a film, but it's, it's a series, right? So it's a nine part series, and yeah. kind of the the you know just in constructing it, it was it was a bit difficult because there's not a lot of content on Canadian basketball in terms of series and docs and films. So the first episode really orients the viewer 
and kind of, you know, I wish I could talk to everyone and interview everyone, but it gives a little overview, I think, of how basketball in Toronto really developed and boomed. Yeah. So it gives the viewer a bit of a roadmap and go, okay, here's here's this ecosystem that has been established in Toronto, which is really responsible for you know Canada sending the most amount of, of players to the NBA outside of the U.S. Right, so that's most of these kids are coming from the GTA. So once we orient the viewer in this ecosystem, then we're equipped to to go on this journey with these five kids who you know some of them you know we're not following the five best players that are sure shot NBA prospects because I don't think you know that story is sometimes already written before it starts. Right, you already. Well, it's also yeah. it's a sort of not as realistic as the fact that it's a. I think Damon Stoudemire says it at the towards the end of in the, in the final episode. He says something along the lines of, "You know, they they tell you you're going to make it to the NBA, but it's a one in a million shot." And and then beyond that, uh, he I retired at 35, and I what do you do then? You know, like this notion of having a well-rounded life really comes through in your documentary series, which is ostensibly about people trying to become basketball players but it's, yeah it's a holistic view of it yeah yes right it's it's you know once we orient the viewer in this kind of ecosystem then we follow you know what's what's it like now to really be all in on this on this hoop dream in toronto and and what does that look like from you know the plan was to show what does that look like from being 12 years old to being 18 years old and kind of showing that life cycle and and you know the pitfalls and decisions and you know outcomes of that where um, you know, it is, you know, on one hand, it's like, yes, we're, we're producing all of these NBA players and, and a lot of kids are getting division one scholarships. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen for everyone playing basketball here. So, you know, I, I, hopefully we were able to show that. And I think Damon was one of the most Damon Stoudemire, the Raptors first ever draft pick. I think he really had some important messages that really speaks to that, you know, from a guy who was, you know, played 10 plus years in the NBA basketball ends for people at different points for him it ended after 10 plus years in the nba some people it ends when they're 17 some people it ends when they're 23 after a few years in europe so i think it gives a bit of it celebrates basketball in canada but then at the same time just going on the journey and, and you know spending time with people i think it gives a like you said a holistic view and and a realistic view of of you know what what it's like really to to go and embark on this journey. Yeah, it's it's remarkable in that sense. Uh, we've talked a little bit about some of the the basketball participants uh, in the film. Uh, some names that people would know, of course. We mentioned Steve Nash. Uh, we mentioned Damon Stoudemire. Demar Derozan's in it. Uh, Corey Joseph's in it. Uh, who else? Who am I bl- m- blanking on? There's some Jamal Murray from yeah. Kitchener, who had a great year on the Nuggets. He's in it. Um, we were able to speak to Jamal McGlure. And Colin Charles, Jamal, you know, played in the NBA, but him and Colin were were a part of that Eastern Commerce powerhouse in the '90s that really made a lot of noise, I think, for Canadian basketball. But it was it was really cool being able to speak to Jamal, and and then just local legends like Phil Dixon, who was, you know, people say the Andrew Wiggins before Andrew Wiggins. That in the late '80s, Phil was Phil was the guy that a lot of people knew about, and and he went down and played at, in Utah, and just for me. You know, as a as a basketball geek and as a basketball nerd, of course, it's cool talking um, to guys who have made the NBA and playing the NBA. But for me, it was really enjoyable talking to the Phil Dixons or David Joseph, who's Corey's dad, who was really at the forefront of nurturing the community here and and you know 
Roe Russell, one of the legendary coaches. So for me, getting to talk to those guys and spend time with them from just a basketball fan, basketball nerd, um, you know, standpoint, that was that was that was special. Yeah, no, and and that comes across. There's real love in the filmmaking, I think, and and love for the. Uh, for the people that are portrayed, or not portrayed in it, but who appear in it. Um, one of the people that's in it uh, is Cardinal Fischel. And I want to ask about why you thought it was important to feature figures like him in in a, in a film about uh, Toronto and basketball. Well, I think basketball and, and music, specifically hip-hop, go hand in hand. Especially especially in, in Canada, because I think hockey's the... The, the big sport or was the big sport so i think they were both a little counterculture at the time and and i think for you know the community here you know who who mostly are coming from the islands that was their guy right like in the 90s and northern touch and even before that so i think you know he represented he just represented you know, he, he was he was someone from their community you know, doing it on a big level, right? And, yeah, yeah. And, there's, a, you know, just to, there's an issue, there's a sort of re- reference point to the diaspora there as well. I never thought of that. When you, I remember there's a poignant part in, in the series where someone says, you know, Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, enabled all these Caribbean people to come here. And it created this, the way, the, the makeup of Toronto is really, you know, the current makeup of Toronto has a lot to do with decisions like that one. Yeah, I mean, just talking to, I asked Jamal McGlore about it. I was like, you know, what were you listening to when you were going to Commerce in that time? It's like, well, we're listening to Cardi. Like, that's what we listen to on the bus going to the games. They're listening to that music, right? And and even Cardinal, I don't know if it made it in the documentary, but he just said, you know, I always had my ball shorts on under my jeans, ready to play. (laughs) And, you know, just, they just go hand in hand. I mean, it's, you could spend hours talking about it or it's just something that you accept that, that I think hip hop and basketball are just, you know, they're, they're, they're joined at, joined at the hip. Yeah. And then you also have a lot of the, you know, the fashion crosses, crosses over too, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you feel, you said hockey was the dominant sport. I think, uh, it's always arguable on some level, but I think um, TV ratings and I don't think attendance reflects it, but I think TV ratings and just a general feeling. I don't think it's necessarily the fortunes of the team that are dictating, like whether the Raptors are doing well or the, the Leafs are doing poorly. Like I feel like Toronto has become a baseball and basketball town um, where it used to be Hogtown. It used to be the Leafs all the time. Would you agree with that? I mean, I've only been here for for close to three years but so i couldn't tell you that you know used to be doug gilmore and wendell clark jerseys everywhere but from what i've seen i think that one you're living in you know what people call the most diverse city and i think that that for people moving to the city whether it's from other places in canada or whether it's from other parts in the world i think just basketball is something that is easier to to get involved in i I just feel it's more of a, a sport for the people I think hockey, especially the Leafs being the original six team, there's this history kind of built into it. So I, I think that has something to do with it. But what about baseball, I, though? What about baseball? I'm just curious. I feel like in a diverse city, the two most diverse teams, you know, ethnically, racially, culturally, are are Raptors and the Blue Jays. I mean, you look at those the makeup of those teams, and there's a good chance. Wherever you're from, you might be able to identify with someone on the team in terms of their heritage, if you will. Whereas on a hockey team, that's still not quite the case. 
Yeah, I also think the the Jays, the Jays, and the Raptors have been winning a little bit more than the Leafs sure. in in recent years. And then, you know, you you actually have to kind of consider that the whole Drake, the whole Drake X factor, and all of this, right? Sure. Um, where, you know, he's sitting courtside at the Raptors game, and you have one of the biggest entertainers in the world there cheering on the team, a part, a, really a part of the organization. I think that that's that's you know, people consume that and people eat that up. And I think that hockey just kind of lacks that star power too. I think basketball does a phenomenal. I think the NBA does a phenomenal job of, of you know, reaching reaching their audience and marketing the stars in the right way. Um, yeah, so it's, it's inter- That's an interesting point. Hockey feels old. Basketball feels new. Yeah, and and, it's, and young. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people could get behind that, and and you know, then you have also. You know, OVO is doing jersey collaborations with the Raptors, so it's really, it's really just a part of basketball. Is really just a part of pop culture more so than hockey. Right. No, I agree. Did you have you crossed paths with Drake much professionally or otherwise? No, just hears music everywhere in the city. <laughs> Did you reach out to OVO or Drake to be part of this? Um, I think they're they're pretty busy, you know. So. Um, <laughs> I don't. I know. see him at the games. He doesn't seem that busy to me. He's just sitting there. No, nah, he's a busy. I mean, they're, they're, they do a lot for the city. And, I know. And, no, I'm. I'm just teasing. No, I just wondered if uh, you reached out to them because, like I say, it's a, it's a very comprehensive uh, documentary series, and you would think uh, I would think it would be great to have him a, a part of it to be a part of it. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe if we get a season two, we could. We could figure it out. <laughs> so that that leads me to two final questions, I suppose. One. What do you hope people take away from this run, this series, and and then too, like you say, like what what do you hope to to accomplish next? Do you, do you hope to? There's a continuity and an organization to the initial series in terms of uh, players you keep tabs on, uh, families you keep tabs on, progress that's made. Do you do you have a vision for how to follow up on this yeah. initial season? Yeah. Well, I think to answer the first part of your question, I guess what do I hope people take away? Well, I mean. I think a lot of people work really, really hard on this project and a phenomenal DP and phenomenal editor, phenomenal composer. You know, it was a real, real team, team effort and, and so, many, so many people contributed to it that you just want people to watch it. And I think the cool thing is, is that the series is free. You could watch it through NFB's um, YouTube channel and you could watch it through Red Bull TV for free. Yeah. So I think that... That's okay. That that's a big win, right? So, just want people to watch it, and then I guess what I want people to take away is just, I think basketball is really shaping the Canadian experience domestically and globally. Yep. That you know, it's not just hockey anymore. And I think that for me, as someone who identified with basketball, um, someone with immigrant roots, um, seeing you know basketball. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. 
As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. In our country, which is, you know, it's highly influenced and, in, in, you know, kind of organically nurtured and built by an immigrant community and then seen that, seen basketball become a cultural export. To me, that's that's an awesome story, and that's something I get excited about, just on a top line yeah. level, kind of about basketball and the sport. And I think, you know, there's a lot of you know kind of craziness going on in the world, and and a lot of people who don't want to let people in their country for whatever reason. And you know, hopefully, people could could see that you know diversity, you know, having a diverse country leads to you know beautiful and awesome things. So I think. There's that message of it. And then at the same time, I think more to sports fans and, and families and people who play basketball. I just think, like you said, and like how Damon Stoudemire says it, that I hope it just you know, paints a very holistic and, and complete picture of, of this experience now that is youth basketball that has its ups and downs. And, and you know, fortunately, the families who, who I connected with on this project, I mean, they're the ones who had a lot of courage to share their stories and, and open up on screen. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs in the project and it's not necessarily easy to let your guard down and, and share those emotions and, and share some of the, the setbacks. But I think a lot of people could, could learn from that who have kids in sports or a young athlete themselves. So I think it's kind of twofold in terms of what I want people to take away from it. And then what's next? Uh, I don't know. It's I, my head's been, my head's been down in this project for, for about two years. So now I'm just kind of coming up for air and, you know, even speaking about it with you, it, it's, you know, it's just different now that it's done and, and, and talking about it like it's finished and talking about what I want an audience to take away. So it's, you know, see how people react. And I would love to do, you know, I'd love to continue to follow some of the stories or do another city or, you know, find another story in the world that relates, that's kind of brings, you know, culture and, and sport together and tell that story. Uh, you know, for a while, I was kind of didn't want to pigeonhole myself as, oh, you're that sports guy. <laughs> but I, I love I love sports in general so much. And I just think that it's such an easy way to to just naturally get you know get close and, and get intimate and get into someone's life and then find the you know universal story from there so well it's well put and it's an amazing project so congratulations on it where can people learn more uh, people listening where can people listening uh, learn more about uh, about this series yeah, like I said, it's it's on May 9th. It will be out for free on the National Film Board's YouTube channel as well as their website. And then it will also be for free on Red Bull TV. Right. So is that that's an actual television channel? If you have cable no, it's, TV? Oh, it's, it's not? No, I, I don't. <laughs> it's it's RedBullTV.com. Oh, it's, okay. They're, 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 digital, they're digital platform. Okay. So, All right. Um, so they could watch it in, in either of those two places. Well, man, I don't know. I hope you win some awards for this thing. I hope it gets the recognition it deserves. It's really uh, really fascinating and it's really well made. Uh, uh, so, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for 
your time and, and for being on the show and uh, best of luck with everything going forward. Yeah, thanks for having me and I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Raptors are notorious. Ain't no team can't bang with us. The Rose and Larry Valley shoot us. Whole squad representing with the Northern Touch. Why you think you can handle us? Ain't no team can't bang with us. The Rose and Larry Valley shoot us. Raptors coming down with the Northern Ticky Touch, Biggie Baby. Hi, Damon. How are you? Good man, how you doing? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Where where are you as we're speaking right now? Stockton, California. Stockton, California. Now, you, what are you doing there? You got a job there, I understand. Yeah, I'm head basketball coach at a university uh, Pacific. And how's that going? It's going good, man. Um, <laughs> you know, sending up the child. I've only been here two years. I just completed my second year, so uh, you know, the first year, you know, I inherited the team, and you know. We came in last place, but this past year uh, we went. We came in fourth place, so we're we're getting better by the year, man. And you know, this year I think that uh, you know we can make even more strides. Congratulations, that's awesome. Is it was it a was it a hard transition to go from player to coach, or did it feel pretty seamless? It wasn't that hard. I just never planned on coaching. This is not what I aspired to do. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, to be quite frankly with you, uh finding ways to pass your time in retirement if that makes it probably wouldn't make sense to a lot of people but you know when you're an athlete man you're so regimented and you know uh structured and things of that nature and just all the free time on my hands it just it was driving me crazy quite frankly and i it just you know coaching just kind of fell in my lap okay that makes sense uh, I, there's a there's actually a scene in the True North series where you talk about that, you say that it's important that young players have a plan for life after their basketball careers or after they play basketball. Is that something you realized when you were a young active player or is that something that you realized when you retired? Uh, not probably, probably about, mm, about honestly, about, about my seventh year. So I probably was maybe 28, maybe 29, uh, right about that time and you know that was more so the middle of my career but you can kind of start to see the ending more than you can in the beginning and I think that when I started to see that that's when for me you know a, a switch clicked on and I went back to school and you know I got my degree and just started to do some different things man to kind of get ready for that afterlife now I didn't end up you know, retiring for another six years. I was 35 when I retired, but I'm just saying 35 is, you know, it's young, man. And, you know, if you don't really got no plan, you know, it can get a little tricky. It, it's, it sounds to me like that kind of knowledge wasn't imparted to you when you were a younger player and that it's something you realized on your own maybe. Uh, is is this something that you try to instill in your student, like the students you coach or younger basketball players, people who want to get in the league? Well, I don't I talk about it but I wouldn't say that it was I wouldn't say that it wasn't preached to me but when you're 21 20 21 22 man you're not thinking about retirement you just got you just started playing so you know you you're thinking you're trying to figure out how to make it how to fit in you know what's the what's the next thing to do with my money you know what I mean you're not really focused on that and I think that as you get older it's just everything changes if you're still if you're if you're 31 still thinking like when you're 21 then you're going to be lost if you're 41 still thinking the way 
you were when you were 31, you're going to be lost, man. It's phases in life and you just got to change, you know, and I, you know, I tell guys that all the time, but some are, some prepare for it in different ways. Some, they just kind of don't prepare for it at all. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, you'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of changes in life, I mean, it's a great honor to speak with you for many reasons, but in particular, I mean, you are the Toronto Raptors franchise first ever draft pick. You were drafted in 1995, and you know we're all going. I'm calling from just outside of Toronto in Guelph, Ontario. We're all going a little crazy here because of the playoffs. Uh, but I want to go back to that time in your life, just prior to being drafted. Where were you living at that point in your life before you were drafted by the Raptors? I was in between Portland and Portland, Oregon, my hometown in Arizona you know, where I went to college at, I was just going back and forth. Okay. Now, the reason I ask is because I just wonder about perceptions you might have had at the time of Toronto and Canada before you got here, because I I don't know how much time you would have spent thinking about either. (laughs) But I'm just curious, what what did you know about Toronto and Canada at the time, and and, and what did you make of the fact that you were drafted to to, to play here? Uh, It was all right with me. I, I had actually been to Toronto when I was, I think, my sophomore year going to my junior year playing USA basketball, we we had an exhibition game against the Canadian national team. So I had been to Toronto. I mean, I hadn't really been through Toronto, but I had been to Toronto. So to, quite frankly, man, you know, I, I could have cared less where I got drafted at as long as I got drafted, like, to be <laughs> honest with you, man. It wasn't really – you know, perception or whatever. I hadn't even, you know, I didn't know nothing about Toronto, but it didn't bother me at all, to be honest with you. Okay, that's refreshing. You know, some players uh, are a little more choosy and and outspoken about where they end up. Yeah, it didn't, I promise you, it didn't It didn't bother me at all. <laughs> so coming where you came from, from Portland, from Arizona, did you know or come in contact with players who ended up making it to the NBA? That were from Toronto? No, 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 no. Just that oh, made it to, yeah. because you're, you're talking about the fact that you, it didn't matter where you ended up, you just were happy to be drafted. That speaks to uh, a, the kind of rarity, the rarefied air of being a, a basketball player who ends up in the NBA. So that's why I'm just curious if you, if it seemed like a realistic dream when you were younger. It was realistic in my mind. You know, it might not have been realistic for people, for me. You know, it wasn't really a whole lot of blueprints where I grew up at. But that didn't bother me none either. Um, I just put my head to the ground and, you know, worked my ass off, man. You yeah. know, uh, there was a guy before me that I that I looked up to, Terrell Brandon, and he got drafted in the lottery in 1991, and we grew up in the same neighborhood. So that was kind of like my blueprint, you know. So I just kind of tried to follow behind him. Uh, Gary Payton went to Oregon State, although he wasn't from Portland. You know, I used to go up there and watch a lot of Oregon State games. So for me, man, them was the type, them was the guys that I kind of that I kind of grew up on, and I looked up to to try to to try to you know not necessarily emulate, but who gave me kind of a blueprint of of what it was going to take for me to be successful. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us play basketball to varying degrees and various levels when we're younger. Do you have any sense memory of playing basketball and realizing you might be particularly good at it? Man, I mean, I I had pretty much my whole life, you know, been the best player on my team. You know, when I was younger, uh, third grade to be exact, they moved me up to the fifth grade team. 
And that's kind of when I realized, you know, that I could be a special player. You know, and then what happened was, what happened was, was that they actually, when I got the, by the time I got the seventh grade, because I had always played up, you know, they finally gave me my own team. And that's when, you know, we kind of took off. You know, that's when I kind of took off. You know, that's because I had always played grades ahead. I never played with my age group. And I was young, so not only was I playing, not playing with my age group, I was actually a year younger than my age group, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. you know, for those for those that's listening, I graduated high school when I was seventeen. Wow. Okay. So, you know, to keep it to keep it in perspective of what's going on nowadays, when you're talking about guys reclassifying and doing all that stuff, you know, you sometimes have twenty year old freshmen. I graduated college when I was 21. So it just that's kind of just perspective for the listeners out there. But, yeah, I was kind of always young. I was young for my age. So when I finally got down and played with my age group, man, it was just like, you know, it was, <laughs> quite frankly, it was easy, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I was I was always considered one of the best in my in my class. Um, you know, uh, the, the dynamics of what's going on today, compared to what was going on back then, you know, it wasn't so much, you know, media coverage, the social media wasn't there, obviously, and the, mm-hmm. the platform that we had, you know, back then isn't the same as it is today. So, uh, you know, who knows, man, you know, had that happened, you know, maybe I would have, you know, been a household name earlier, but I, I, I love how I came up, man. It made me hungry. Um, you know, I didn't come up in a, in, in a big metropolitan area, uh, I came up in a place where kind of everybody knew everybody. Uh, so when I made it, it was like I made it for everybody, you know. When I celebrated, you know, getting drafted, the whole hood celebrated getting drafted because it was like a big block party, you know. When I got drafted, everybody got drafted. And that was the beauty of it. Yeah, that that comes across in this True North series as well. Like when someone from a Toronto neighborhood gets gets drafted or has some success, it feels like the whole community celebrates. And, and that... I think that's particular. That's that's a that's a heartening thing to see. Actually, um, when you got to Toronto and and started playing for the Raptors, I know you said you'd been to Toronto once before, but what was your vibe when you were playing in Toronto? Did it feel like a, a basketball town? Because it was known before that as kind of mostly a hockey town, something of a baseball town, I guess. By the time you got there, that there were two back-to-back World Series uh, a couple years before, but yeah, it was. Did you feel like basketball was embraced when you started playing uh, for the Raptors? Well, you know, the funny thing about it is when I actually got to Toronto, I was only there for a couple hours because when I when I finally got there to sign my contract, it was an NBA lockout that year. So I came the day before training camp started. And so I basically went to the Raptors offices, signed my contract, and then we got on the bus to go to training camp, which training camp was in Hamilton. So my first recollection of being in Canada was actually was actually going to Hamilton. And so when I got to Hamilton um, and got off the bus, I was like, quite frankly, I was like, "Damn, is this how is this is this how Toronto's going to look?" And I and it wasn't and it and it wasn't and it wasn't the fact that I thought Hamilton was a bad place because really and truly we got off the bus, we went to the hotel, we went inside the hotel. 
And basically, I didn't go outside for dang near a week, week and a half because we was in training camp. So we practiced two times a day from 8 to 12 and 5 to 8. So I was, you know, basically going back and forth to the room. But it was a little gloomy. Um, it was gloomy. And, yeah. you know, uh, I just didn't know a whole lot about it. But, you know, we got through training camp. And then we get back to, to the city. And, uh, you know, John Sally, John Sally, you know, we used to call Sal the party guy. You know, so we so we get back to Toronto and, you know, Sal took us out and showed us a good time. And I was like, I like this city, man. It's going to be all right. And from that point on, you know, I, you know, Toronto, Toronto to me was one of the was it, I shouldn't say was is one of the best cities. Not, not only not only NBA cities, but I think it's one of the best cities in the world, quite frankly. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Does it? And do you feel like it's um, a strong basketball town? I think it's became that. Yeah. Um, you know the the, ir- the irony the irony of basketball to me in Canada and Toronto, excuse me, particularly, is that it's turned into the mecca. It's turned into the mecca of the country. So. To me, when you think of when you think of Toronto, uh, it's like thinking of New York City in the states. You know, Toronto to me is the mecca, is the mecca of Canada in terms of basketball because they're producing guys at a high rate. And whether whether it's NBA players, which obviously guys are coming out going NBA, I would just say in general, just the the amount of college players that that you have now that are coming out of out of uh, Toronto metropolitan area, man. I mean, it's it's amazing to see uh, to see how far uh, that that the city has come, and quite frankly, a short period of time. Well, a lot of people point to you and Vince Carter and the Raptors as really changing the basketball landscape in Canada. How do you feel about that? What do you suppose your impact on Canadian basketball in the city of Toronto was? And, and I know that's going to be hard to be objective about that, but do you have a sense of your impact well, here? Well, this is what I like. This is what I like to tell people when they ask me that question. I think that you know um, the Toronto Raptors, you know, coming to Canada, uh, are coming to Toronto. Excuse me. It impacted the city, and it created an awareness for the city. Because uh, I, I, I would say. 50% of the people, you know, knew about basketball and were really in tune with basketball. Maybe the other 50% paid attention a little bit, but quite frankly, probably didn't give a, give a hoot about it just because it wasn't nothing to latch, latch themselves and attach themselves to there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, uh, the Raptors coming to town and then me being the, the identifiable face of the franchise, I think helped, I think helped everything along the way. And not only was I the identifiable face of the franchise, I was I was along the line of of the the sports heroes that were coming through the city at that time in terms of, you know, kinda like that underdog guy, you know, the guy who definitely not a rags the richest story, but just the guy that the city could kinda hang their hat on and align themselves with. And I think that, you know, that was great for them. Uh on the initial for those first three years. And then I think that the guys that came behind me, Vince Carter took to the whole, to a whole nother level. Yeah. And now quite frankly, I don't know, you know, it probably will be, so I shouldn't say this. 
I don't know if anybody could impact that city the way Vince Carter did. Hmm. But I think that, but I think that, you know, from me to Vince, now I think the Toronto Raptors are a team. I think that people identify with the Toronto Raptors more than they do with one individual. Although DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and those guys are doing a great job. I think that now it's it's the city's team. You know what I'm saying? They identify with everybody on that team. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody, everybody, everybody brings something to the table that's playing for the Toronto Raptors. It's not a matter of one guy standing out more than the next. Everybody plays a role, and I think the city identifies. I mean, you say that, that it may be difficult to identify anyone who's had an impact on Toronto basketball the way Vince Carter has. I want to ask you about Drake. What about Drake? What about the impact, like the kind of cultural impact of hip-hop on basketball? That seems right. to be something that's evolved over the last few years where you know Jay-Z no was involved with the Brooklyn Nets and... Kanye is also Kanye and Jay Z rap about LeBron James. Lots of people rap about certain players, but the Drake effect in Toronto is something we're not used to. We have a massive superstar going to basketball games. What do you make of that? Do you think he's had a, a positive impact on the team? Yeah, I think he's definitely helped take it to another level too. I mean, him being from 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 Toronto, being up there from that area, that's that's going that's going that's going to make that that even more major, you know what I mean? Like, the impact and the way he's embraced it, you know, uh, that's always that's always going to be something that, 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 that helps that city, and he's a he's a, he's a international he's an international figure. Yeah. So, yes, right now you can argue that <laughs> he's more identifiable than maybe the players on the team, but that's okay, though, because yeah. at the end of the day like I told you, to me it's, it's, it's the Toronto Raptors now. It's not so much about the individual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think the brand, the Raptors brand is, is, is such on a whole nother level. You know, Drake has done nothing but enhance that. Yeah. Well, finally, as a, both a former Raptor and, and now as a coach yourself, do you have any advice or, or, or maybe even predictions about what the Raptors' uh, odds in these playoffs and Maybe from your perception, what they should be doing a bit better to to play, you know, to, to win. I tell people this all the time: the worst thing in the world is whether what it doesn't matter whether it's, it's guys analyzing the game or just the, the regular average everyday fan. It's always easy for us to sit back and play Monday evening quarterback and critique what's going on and why they lose, why they lost game one, this, that, and the third. But I, I think that you know. If Toronto just comes out, they play their game. I don't really think they played bad last game. They just couldn't complete the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, but, but, but they just got to finish. They got to play the whole forty-eight minutes. They have to, they have to finish the game uh, because you don't want these things to become mental, you know. And I think that I haven't been in the city uh, uh, during these playoffs during this season, but I know Toronto. So yesterday morning. It was probably like somebody passed away. It was like a hangover. It was like it was like a bunch of drunks and they hung over. And they don't want to leave the house because they can't get out the bed. And I bet you that's how the city was kind of hung over, hung over a little bit. You know, the team they just you know the fans got to come. They got to give them that energy. Uh, you know you you know and and the rappers got to give the fans something to hang their hat on. And you know they get this game too. I think that it, 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 everything changes. You know, but. It's 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 ever it's ever changing dynamics within a series, so it's a long series, and you know tonight will be a big game for those guys. 
Well, Damon, it's a it's a real pleasure and honor to speak with you, and I thank you for coming to Toronto and playing basketball here, and uh, and for you know you you really did you really did change the sports landscape in this country. So thanks for that, and and best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you, appreciate it. Now you have a good one, baby. Special thanks again to Damon Stoudemire and Ryan Sidhu for appearing on this, the 394th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube, and Audio Boom. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you wish to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. That's V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative, or follow me at Vishkana, and you can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, around the world at CFRU.ca, or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Thanks to everyone who does that. It means a lot. I'd like to thank all the people who support this show with in-kind uh, donations and also, uh, as I mentioned, the, uh, the uh, financial donations as well. That's really awesome. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Jim Guthrie also for letting me use the instrumental version of his song, The Rest Is Yet To Come, to end the show each week. And, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say for now, really. I have nothing more. Go, Raptors. Anyway, thanks again. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>